we're continuing to work our way through Galatians. It's funny doing three in a row, like I had a little bit of an issue as I began to study the passage, it seems kind of a little bit redundant. Paul's just making the same point over and over. And when it's the gospel, it's the gospel, and it's the gospel, and then I felt freedom in that. Because I hope you're not here to learn something new. I hope you're here to be reminded of the gospel because that's all that we have. I remember going to a pastor's conference. So I left India to go to Australia to hear from an Irishman on preaching. Sounds like the setup of a joke. That's just the reality. I left India. I'm in Australia. And I hear this Irish guy leading a conference on preaching. And I'll never forget it. It gave me great freedom. And he said preaching, he said, it's like when you put a quarter in a machine and the quarter gets stuck. And I'll never forget it, it is thick Irish accent. Like it's like when you put a quarter in a vending machine and it doesn't drop. Well, you do, you just keep whacking the side of the machine, hoping that one day I broke something on this day. Here's a souvenir first row. He's <laughs> like, I just hope in one day that the quarter drops. I don't know why my... Irish accent sounds like a Scottish Mrs. Doubtfire a little bit, but whatever. (laughs) I found freedom in that, right? I don't need to teach you something new. We just need reminded of the good news of the gospel. And that is what Paul is doing. He's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the gospel and hoping that we get it, that it drops and it drops deeper into our hearts. There's another gospel after Paul leaves, these agitators, these Judaizers are teaching religion, and he's saying, no, it's a relationship. You can't achieve and earn God's love. You can only receive it. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done. It's not about your performance. It's about a promise that God made to you. And we'll keep banging that drum. I'm going to hit it lighter so I don't break something else. And I'll just keep whacking the side of the machine until we really grasp that. So that's where we're at in Galatians. And we're in verse uh, 21, picking it up in chapter 4. So you can follow along as always as I read. So chapter 4, picking it up in verse 21. Tell me you who desire to be under the law. Do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One one is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, 
We are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Again, he's continuing to encourage them to reject the false gospel of religion that God doesn't love you unless you do these things and embrace the gospel of Christ. And again, he turns his attention to the Old Testament to make his point. He's kind of already talked about Abraham, and he kind of goes again to Abraham and his sons. So I'm going to spend some time kind of the background of that, because you got to understand the story of Genesis to make sense of the comparison that he's making. This morning, I really want to make sure that you are crystal clear, that you have clarity and understand the gospel, the promise of God's grace. But I also want to spend a lot of time helping us believe that promise that God made to us and to live like we really believe that promise. All right, that's where we're going. And as Paul has kind of compared these two gospels to these two women and their sons, let's kind of refresh on the story that comes straight out of Genesis. See, this story of redemption, see, God's, God's Bible isn't multiple stories. It's one great story. It's about redemption, and it begins with Abraham in Genesis 12. See, when everything is messed up, this is post-Noah's Ark, Tower of Babel, God is going to begin to restore it through Abraham. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So the promise is given in Genesis 12 to Abraham. You see a couple elements. We're not going to talk about the promised land much, but he's going to bless him to be a blessing, and him, the particular promise is, you will have offspring. You will have many offspring. So that's the promise that begins in 12, and let's continue to follow along with the story. Genesis 15, the promise is still pending. So after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. What does Abraham say? But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? God promises to Abram that I'm going to give you, and he becomes Abraham later, as the kind of the, the story continues. I'm going to give you kids, and God says, you know, Abraham, I'm with you. I love you. I'm going to keep blessing you. And Abraham points out, yeah, but just in case you forgot, still no kids here. Time's going by, so the promise is pending. I don't think anybody likes that word, pending. Right? You go to check your bank account. Did that money come in? Oh, it's pending. Oh, you're waiting for this? It's pending. Why do we hurt the word? Why do we hate the word pending? Because we hate waiting. Because that means, okay, the promise hasn't come yet. Pending actually means it is coming. It will happen. You just need to wait. But luckily we just sang that. I will wait. I will wait on you. But when we're in the waiting, we don't like it when God's promises are pending. And then we begin to wrestle. God's saying all these things about your life. They don't seem true. God's promises are pending. And what happens? We really begin to wrestle and doubt God in our life. Now the promise is doubted. And this is where the story takes a turn. This is Genesis 16. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a, a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. 
it may be that I shall obtain children by her. A little bit different of a time, as you could tell. So context is a little different, but same ideas going on. They've promised that they would have kids. They doubt, man, is God really going to be faithful? Is God really there for me? I don't know. I'm going to take measures into my own hands, and we're going to make this happen. So why don't you sleep with Hagar, my servant, and then maybe I'll have a kid that way. You ever been in that spot? You doubt where God, does he really love you? And instead of waiting faithfully, you're, no, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to take matters in my own hands, and we're going to make this happen. They doubted God. They had a direct promise from God that you're going to have kids. And they doubted, and this is where it goes sideways. But let's be fair to Sarah. She's 76 at this time. I don't know if you're trying, like, not in the prime, like, baby-making window, right? Like, she's past the way of the woman, as the Bible says. So here she is. Okay, God, you said you're going to move. You said you're going to be there for me. It doesn't make sense with my life. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And then Hagar has Ishmael, and that's one of the kids that we're talking about. And it gets super weird between Sarah and Hagar. They're now officially beefing. Like, let's just say Sarah didn't show up to the gender reveal party for Hagar. You know, like, all them, like, prego selfies, Sarah wasn't liking those. Like, it got real weird between the two of them. So what happens? In the midst of that, okay, Hagar has a child. And then 14 years later, the promise is reaffirmed. The Lord said, look, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. That passage mentioned Isaac. At this point, she 90. So what is the response? Exactly your response. She laughs at God. God sends messengers to say, you're going to have a kid, and she laughs at God's face like, good one, Uh, it's not really funny, and she mockingly laughs at God. Do you know what the name Isaac means? He laughs. The name Isaac means laughter. It's a guy who enjoys laughing. That's why I named my kid Isaac. It means he laughs. It's his birthday today. So son, if you are listening, you can clap for him. He's not here, but it's son. If you are listening, you are a champion and more loved than you will ever know. So happy birthday to Isaac. He laughs. So she laughs in God's face. Oh, you love me. Yeah, it sure looks like it. Good one. But what happens, and where does the story end? God keeps his word, and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. The Lord did as he promised. It's hard in the waiting, but God comes through and delivers. And they have a child named Isaac. So for the visual to make sure this is everything he's playing off of, to understand, okay, there's Father Abraham, the father of us all. He's married to Sarah. In the text it says, Sarah the free woman. So this is his wife who can't conceive. So they take matters into their own hand and tell Abraham to go sleep with Hagar, the slave woman. And then she does conceive and give birth to Ishmael. 
So that's the one line. These represent the two covenants. God is faithful to Sarah, and they have Isaac. So the whole point of the passage is looking at that story. So these two gospels, the enemies of Paul, the agitators, who say, you need to do religion, you need to do these things for God really to love you. He says, you are Ishmael. You are of that covenant. And you see, I love the descriptions. Did you catch that? You know, the Jerusalem from above said, Isaac is the Jerusalem above of freedom and joy. Ishmael, he says, is like the earthly, the present Jerusalem. And that is of slavery. So there's two ways that you can approach God. By promise, and be the true heir of God's kid is Sarah, and trust in grace. Or you can be the second gospel and try to please God by your performance and religion and do all these things. That is a way that you can get to God, but that is nothing but ultimately slavery. That is like the covenant with Ishmael. They're both, you know, Paul and these agitators are fighting for the hearts and minds of the Galatians, and they're fighting for who is truly the true heir of Christ, like who are really God's chosen people. And the agitators are saying, no, we're the true children of Abraham. And Paul says, yeah, I bet you are, but your mother's Hagar, and you are experiencing a covenant of slavery if you're trying to trust in religion and your performance as opposed to the promise of God. I hope that you understand the clarity of what we say over and over. To make it real clear, even in membership, we ask it this way, and I hope if you've been through Galatians, you can get this right. I believe that someone can get to heaven by living a good life. Paul would adamantly circle, check, do whatever to disagree. If your hope is that you're going to become a good person and God's going to accept you, that is impossible. That is the gospel of slavery and no gospel at all. The gospel Paul is preaching, you see that in two. I believe that those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior will spend eternity in heaven with him wholeheartedly agree. You have to be clear on the two gospels presented. I hope you understand the difference between religion and doing things to get to God and relationship of grace based off of what Christ has done. We will never stop preaching that. But this is where it gets interesting to me. So I want to be very clear on your choices of how to approach God. It's religion or relationship. So the choices are clear, but the choices are also unbelievably obvious. Think about the two covenants. Do you want to have a life of freedom or slavery? Do you want a life of joy or bondage? That's not a hard decision. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? It reminds me of when I was playing the would you rather game with a bunch of kids. You know the would you rather we try to think of like impossibly hard decisions. They didn't get it. They were, I remember talking to some kids, and they were like, you know, would you rather have, like, the best ice cream that you've ever had in the universe or, like, get punched in the face real hard? Like, I, I, don't, I don't think you're seeing the nuance. Like, they just didn't understand. Would you rather be, like, the top person in your field or get mad cow disease? Like, I, you don't understand, right? Like, it's not a brain buster, okay? Like, this isn't a hard decision. 
Do you want to have freedom or slavery? Why that's interesting is how often do we choose slavery and bondage? If it's that obvious, then why do we so often submit ourselves to bondage and slavery and turn to our performance if there's nothing but joyless earthly bondage? God promises to give us his grace if we give our life to him and we choose slavery. We gotta spend some time asking why. Why do we do that? And I think even as a child of God, we're tempted by slavery. So God promised to love you by his grace. Let's talk through three barriers of believing that promise, right? It's hard to believe somebody when they make a promise to us. One, We'll walk through three of these. Why do we resist believing that promise and walk into slavery? One, I think, is confusion. We've never been clearly taught relationship of grace compared to religion. Maybe you were just raised in religion. You didn't know anything different. You were raised that if you go to church and you get baptized, you get confirmed, you go to confession, you don't watch these movies, you try to be a good person, and then you're a Christian. Maybe you were just taught that and you never knew any different. See, I mean, remember that drawing, the two lines? Part of the fascinating thing you got to think through is, guess what? Of course the agitators thought they were the true children of Abraham, Right? So part of what Paul was doing is, guess what? There are those who think you're truly a Christian, but you are in the wrong line. Verse 25, it said, that gospel of religion corresponds to Hagar, corresponds to slavery. That corresponds, I talk about kind of being in a row, being in a column with, or as we'd say, being in that line. I remember going down to Talmadge. I had to get like new stickers or tags, and they got that big BMV down there and multiple offices. We love going to the BMV, right? So I remember getting in line and waiting whatever four hours to get to the front, and I get to the front of the line. I'm like, yeah, I need new stickers. They're like, ooh, you got in the wrong line. You're going to need to go next door. This is title. I'm like, I'm not an angry man, but it was rising, right? Did I want to choose the wrong line? Did I want to sit at the BMV? No, but, this, <laughs> but the plain reality is I was in the wrong line. Some of you, some of us, you think you're a Christian, but you're standing in the line of religion trying to allow your performance to win you favor with God. Do you know how many times I've heard that testimony? I was raised in church. I went through all the steps I was a good kid. I thought I was a Christian until I heard the gospel. Just because you were raised in religion doesn't mean you're right with God. It doesn't mean you experience the true gospel. So if you've experienced that confusion, I hope the clarity sets in. There are two gospels. One is no gospel at all. If your hope is in religion, that's empty, it's bondage, it's death. To experience a relationship with God is you need to surrender your performance, receive the promise of grace, and put all your faith in him. Let's be clear, and I want you to be clear of what line you're in. What hope do you, what do you have your hope in? And I pray it's not religion because that's a false gospel. 
So let's be clear. So maybe it's confusion. Two, maybe it's pride. Huge thing, I think, that keeps us from God is our pride. Now, see, if how I get to God is I'm a good person and I do good things and I go to church and I deserve heaven, who gets all the credit? He's got two thumbs, this guy, right? So if it's all about me, man, I get the credit. And let's be honest, it's hard to admit I'm a failure. I did not do what God called me to do, and I am broken and messed up, and I'm desperate. Let's just be honest. That's not easy. See, Jesus promised to heal. He promises to heal us, but guess what? you got to admit you're sick, and we don't like doing that, especially guys. So I, know for, I know guy friends that haven't been to the doctor in like 45 years. They got a boil like hanging out their neck. Like, no, I'm fine. I'm not sick. <laughs> we don't like to admit we're sick, right? And for you to come to God, you need to acknowledge that you're sick and you're desperate and you need him. So the answer to pride is humility. Nobody comes to God until they humble themselves and acknowledge their depravity, their sin, and desperately cry out to him. I don't know why. Like, why are people in their flesh, apart from Christ, so just nonchalantly flippant about how that'll go for them when they stand in judgment? Like, one day, all of us, you're going to stand before Almighty God. At the pearly gates, and he's going to show you the perfect holiness, perfect, loving, new creation. And he's going to walk through every messed up thing you've ever done. Not just done. He's going to highlight every messed up thought you ever had. And he's going to show you perfection and say, do you deserve to be in there? You think that's going to go well for you? Like most people think, oh, you know, I guess I'll be come try to be a good guy. I'll be okay. Are you kidding? Listen, when you understand the journey, you'll get some humility, right? You don't need help. You don't need to be a better person. You need a miracle. I'm not being facetious. You need a miracle. And that's where I think the story comes into play, right? Sarah was 90. She didn't need to be a little healthier to conceive. She needed a miracle. Imagine somebody 90 comes to you and says, oh, I want to have a baby. Would you say, well, did you try essential oils? Maybe a little fish, oh, you know, fish oil, maybe vitamin D through K and 7. Maybe, did you try yoga, Sarah? Maybe a little warrior one, you know. She's 90. If your 90-year-old friend says, I want to have a baby, like, all right, let's pray. Come on. Come on, I'm going to lay hands on you. You need a miracle. That's what Sarah needed. That's what you need. When you think of the goal that God, the standard God holds for you, you don't need to be better. <laughs> By way of illustration, some of you know I'm from Pittsburgh. So when I talk about football, no, 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 no. When I talk about football, stop, seriously, stop. I need to, like, move on. <laughs> exactly. I shouldn't have done that. So when I talk about football, it, I get, like, a visceral anger. Like I talk about football, they're like, I knew I hated you. I'm not talking about football. I'm talking about baseball. When I tell people I'm a Pirates fan, 
I get a very different response. It is never anger. It's just raw pity. Like I tell people, oh, I'm a Pirates fan. It's like, I'm sorry. Gosh. If you know anything about baseball, the Pirates have been horrible since Abraham existed. I still hate Barry Bonds, like deep within me. I mean, the parts have been horrible, and the only reason I'm talking about them is because it's the trade deadline, and that's the only news of the Pirates. Like, what prospects did they get during a trade deadline? Like, so I'm reading articles, <laughs> and I see projections of each team's odds of making the playoffs. This will be fun. So every team, it's their percentage odds to make the playoffs, and it's like, Dodgers, 98%. This, I'm like, oh, I wonder what the Pirates' odds are. I scroll. Scroll, <laughs> scroll. At the very bottom, like in pity, you'd think they said 1%. They moved the decimal point. It was 0.1%. And they didn't leave it there. They had the less than symbol. So as pirates, less than 0.1% chance. Come on, play. Like, if I would have I loved to make that website. I'd have been messing with people like Dodgers, 98%. Pirates need a miracle. Pirates, not going to happen. Like, angels in the outfield. You need a Danny Glover miracle. You, the Pirates don't need to hit better. They would need a miracle. Look, you don't need to try to cuss less and be a little bit better. To experience hope in that moment, you need a miracle in God to give you a new heart. When you understand that, you understand you're not going to make it last. You got to surrender our pride and wrestle with our doubt, right? Because God promised to love you and be there for you. And I'm telling you to trust in God's love for you. But it's hard to believe God loves us because we have all this evidence and seeming proof of God not being there in our lives. Is Sarah and Abraham's story evidence for the faithfulness of God and his promise? The easy answer is yes, and it is. But it depends when you'd ask him that question. Sarah's sitting at 89, and God said, I'm going to promise to love you. Do you think she thought her life is evidence of God's faithfulness? telling you God has promised to love you and then you're going to bring up all your evidence then why did this happen to my family then why is this happening it's hard to believe that promise because we doubt his love because we have all this evidence I want you to believe in the promise of God's love for you and the ultimate evidence of the cross he has promised to love you like he did Sarah and I want you to embrace that personally. The Lord did to Sarah as he has promised. The Lord will do to you as he has promised. The question, will you believe what you just sang? I'll remain confident of this, that I'm going to see the goodness of God. And some promises are pending, and there's a lot of evidence that it's hard to believe that. But I'm going to put my hope in the promise of God. Can we learn from Sarah and Abraham? Was God faithful to his promise? Yes. Did it happen when Sarah wanted? You've got to be kidding me. Are you willing to say, okay, God, 
you're faithful. I'll let you decide when this goes down. I want it this way. I want this job. I want it here. You think Sarah wanted her life to go down in a different way? She's 90. Yes. But you know what? You're faithful. I'll let you decide when, and I'll let you decide how. And I got some pending promises, but you are faithful, and I'm going to cling to that. Cling to the promises. I think some of where we get hung up is God didn't promise prosperity, okay? We think when God doesn't prosper us in the way we want, we doubt him. What has he promised? I will be there with you. I'm going to use this in your life. Cling to promises. He promised them to have a kid. He doesn't give us all those same exact promises. But will you believe that the Lord will do to you as he has promised? And it's scary to just trust that in faith. But that's what I want to encourage you to, to believe that he is faithful and he will love you. And then from there, I want you to live that out. Right? It's hard to believe that in light of our life, but I'm telling you God is faithful. And then from there, you have a choice of how you can live. And we see your two options so clearly in this story. I want to bring you back to a verse that we read out of the gates. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. If you can dare to believe in the promise of God to love you, how do you want to live? Do you want to take your life in your own hands because you're tired of waiting and try to take control back from God and live life trying out of just a human attempt to bring about God's fulfillment? Do you want to live in mere human means or do you want to miraculously see the Spirit of God move in your life? Will you be faithful to trust that? And we still got to do our part and be faithful, right? Doesn't mean we just throw our hands up in the air and do nothing. Like in Abraham did his part in both of these kids, right? Like it wasn't a virgin birth. Like Abraham still did what he had to do, which is almost a miracle of itself. Because she's 90, he's a hundo. Like you imagine that one, like, hey, babe, should we give it a go? You know, like God promised. And she's like, oh, no, not tonight, Abe. I'm tired. And he's like, it's 730. She's like, I'm 90. I'm always tired, right? So they still, right, took steps of faith. You still need to be faithful. You don't just throw your hands up in the air. You do your part, but you trust in the spirit of God to move. You don't take matters into your own hands to bring about God's promises with human attempt. It's silliness. And you want to be married, but I, oh, I don't know if God's going to be good on his promises, so maybe I'll marry somebody who isn't a Christian because I desperately want this, and I'm going to take measure into my own hands. Like, I want these sermons to move people, and I could sit up here, and oh, if I just give, if my Irish accent's just right, and if I give the emotional charge, maybe God will move. I can't change anybody's heart. I got to step back and trust and live a life based off of the Spirit's movement. What kind of life do you want to live? A life 
just your human attempts to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise? Or are you going to allow God's own fulfillment of his promise to move miraculously? You desperately want your kids to walk with him. And if I just get them in the right schools and I disciple them, I can get them there. No, you can't. What you're really longing to do in your life, you can't do it. To kick that addiction, to heal this thing, you don't need help. You need a miracle. And maybe you doubt that miracle's coming. And I beg you to resist that temptation to take matters into your own hands and try to trust in your effort to bring about God's promises. It doesn't work that way. God promised to love you and be there for you. He will be faithful to do in your life what he has promised to do. Believe it and live like that's true. Can you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I confess, I'm sure I can confess on behalf of so many in their church right now, it is scary, and we desperately want to take control from you and try to bring about your purposes in our life by our own effort. Humble us. Remind us of how silly and impossible that is. I want to live a life of joy and freedom, not mere human needs, but miraculously watching your spirit move. God, help us to surrender the details, to surrender the timeline, and trust in your promise that you are faithful. We believe that in Jesus' name. Amen.